Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to this episode on how to be a CBT therapist. Slightly different from the usual topic, but I'm very excited to be hosting this episode because if you're listening now, then you've had thought, I might quite like to be a CBT therapist and that's very exciting and I would highly recommend it because I honestly really, really love my job. I get so much from the work I do with my clients and in writing my blogs, doing this podcast and providing clinical supervision and doing training and all the things that being a CBT therapist has done for me and has opened up for me, which is a lot. It's a very exciting career. Highly recommend it. So I'm talking today with the expert, Dr. Helen Moyer. Helen is a CBT therapist and she runs a private practice called Moya CBT. I've known Helen for a couple of years. We met on the medium of Facebook in a couple of therapist groups that we both are in and we've worked together for a while now. So I've known about her interest in helping people develop their careers in CBT and as CBT therapists, but today really opened my eyes to Helen's knowledge, her skills, her extensive experience, which I haven't realised, and to her passion on this project of helping people become CBT therapists. And it's so exciting because the landscape of mental health has really been changing over the last few years. It wasn't fashionable at one time to work in the field of mental health, but as people become more aware about how important our minds are, our psychological well-being, and how much we can do to improve our mindsets, then more people are trying to access therapy. NHS waiting lists are huge, and there's high demand for private therapy as well. And I see that demand continuing as well which is, you know, is really exciting because what it says to me is that people are starting to care for their minds as much as they do for their bodies. So we're really starting to prioritise our minds, our mental health and our mindsets, which is good for us and everybody around us as well, leading to happier, healthier, more confident communities. What's not to like? So... I know that I have got the right person on this podcast to answer all your questions and I'm going to put all the links to Helen's website and her Facebook groups in the um, show notes and over to Helen. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, well, hello, Helen. Welcome to Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you as a guest here. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Well, thank you for asking me, Sarah. It's a a real (laughs) honour. Pleasure. So I'm going to try out something new with you, and that is to get us started a short, quick-fire question round, just because I'm quite nosy and like to know a little bit about people, and I know other people are as well. So are you up for that? I am indeed. Yeah, fire away. I'm going to give you two options and you just say which is you. So let's go. Early bird or night owl? Oh, definitely night owl. Are you? I'm the early bird. 
Self-help books or Netflix? I have to confess, Netflix. (laughs) Cats or dogs? Dogs. Gin or wine? Oh, definitely wine. Nightclub or the gym? I mean, at my stage in life at 54, it's actually more the gym nowadays. I would have had you down as a nightclub. I love dancing and I love um, partying, but not in a nightclub. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favourite ever book? Oh, now, as always, that's a difficult one. But the genre that I like the most are books about people's lives that have gone slightly off track, (laughs) if that makes sense. Who would be your favourite person that's gone a bit off track? Well, one of the books that I really, really love is by a Brazilian writer called Paulo Coelho. And uh, the book is called Veronica Decides to Die. Now, it's a a real must-read for anyone who's interested in psychological well-being and issues to do with the mind because it's uh it's quite a it's it's an intriguing and, and very thought-provoking book i that's right on my amazon list after this and that sounds fantastic right up my street favorite film oh definitely the graduate with dustin hoffman oh yes chocolate or crisps definitely crisps i'm not a sweet tooth Mindfulness or running? Mindfulness. Very good. And night out with 10 friends or two? I do like, I like both of those. I have some friends who I like the the intimate night out with, but I also quite like a a night out. But probably out of those, I prefer the, the smaller group. Yes, yes, I'm with you on that as well. Thank you for trialling that with me. I think I'll keep that as part of the podcast. (laughs) And anybody that wants to suggest any more questions, please do message me. But I I like getting to know my guests a little bit more. So you do a lot of work around helping people starting out in their careers as a CBT therapist. And I could have so used your help when I was starting out. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a CBT therapist? Yes, I can. Now it's quite a long journey, Sarah. <laughs> but if I if I go back to the start, then I have to take us back to the 1980s. Now, um that was the time that I was finishing off at school, not having a clue really what career um I was going to pursue. And I finished school and just stayed on in sixth form but within a month or so I had lost interest and I went to the careers department and saw a poster about nursing and at that time I, I was only aware of general nursing and it wasn't something that I was particularly drawn to but when I realized there were other branches of nursing uh, and one being learning disability and another being mental health uh, I was very interested in knowing more and so I did some voluntary work in a local Red Cross place for people with learning disabilities and I decided very quickly that it was something that I wanted to do and so I applied to do my learning disability nursing much to the dismay of my teachers and 
Susan, the course director of the Learning Disability Nursing Programme at that time. <laughs> Why? Well, back in the 80s, nursing wasn't an academic study. And he was kind of saying along the lines of, you've got more potential than this, which I, you know, still to this day, it really does bother me that yeah. he said that. So I did the training and within the first module, I was introduced to psychology and that there started the love affair with psychology. And that's been the thread throughout my career ever since 1986. And I'd never heard of it before then. And uh, it was a big part of the curriculum. There was elements within that training program relating to behavior therapy because back in the 80s there was a big sort of revolution really in learning disability care and and in mental health care where learning theory was seen as being the big sort of approach psychological therapies if you like so it was it was a fascinating time to be around and it was also a time where there was deinstitutionalization from asylums, as they were called, and long-stay hospitals, so into community care. So it was a fascinating time. And at that time, I still hadn't really heard of CBT as such, but my eyes were open to how psychology could be applied in terms of helping people. It was many years later that the CBT journey kind of started. But in the interim period, following on from the learning disability nursing, I decided I wanted to study psychology. So I went to university with the view that I wanted to become a clinical psychologist, which is often, it's often the pathway that a lot of people choose. Now, like I say, back in the 80s, early 90s, it was as competitive as it still is today, but it was before the doctorate. So um, I went for interviews. I got various, um, you know, opportunities. But when push came to shove, I decided to stay in the nursing career pathway and just incorporate psychology into my, my work, into my role. And I became a nurse educationalist. And so for many years, I worked in higher education. And during that time, I uh, did my PhD, which combined my background in learning disability nursing and psychology. And I looked at identity in people with learning disabilities and how we as carers come to kind of construct notions of identity and uh, life story books were the tool that I introduced and I know this is a long answer but I am getting to the no tell us about life story books well life story books or the life story method was something that has been around you know for many years and in terms of an application I think most people will be aware of kind of reminiscence work with older people and more recently not just older people but people with dementia and that's become quite an established intervention but back in the early 90s there wasn't anything specific for people with learning disabilities and because I was examining a, a move a transition in care uh, of people from a long-stay 
hospital into the community. And these were people with profound learning disabilities who couldn't talk. So the life storybooks were introduced as a tool which contained stories and photographs and memories of people, you know, carers and family members of the person. Oh, lovely. I, w- I was actually around that time a support worker in learning difficulties. And um, I did some of that transition work as well. It was really, really tough because a lot of people had lived in these amazing, well, I mean, not ideal at all, but huge big asylums and then moved into very small houses. And it was just such a shock to the system, you know, bringing people back into the community and worked amazing for some and not so great. It was for other people. It was a very interesting time, wasn't it, to be in care at that time. So the life story books were uh, seen as a, you know, a tool to help that transition because there was that danger that people's identity would get lost in transition. So that was a big part of the PhD work and it, it remained and still remains a big part of my clinical work to this day. So I did, you know, so I went into nurse education and then uh, eventually, uh, three children on, <laughs> I decided after so many years in, in higher education that I was really missing clinical work. And it had been too many years uh, since I'd been practicing as a nurse and there was no real way back into that practice. And then Fast forward to 2008 or nine when IAPT was introduced, the, you know, obviously the revolutionary um, improving access to psychological therapies initiative. Initiative, that was the word. And when that was introduced, Nottingham University, where I was working, they uh, put in a tender to offer training. So I'd just come back from uh, maternity leave. And I kind of, you know, had a very good and supportive head of school who who agreed to put me through the training as a member of staff with the view to growing me into being able to contribute to the teaching in the future. Which I, I always love a good cheerleader and maverick on your workforce and, uh, and managers who are supportive in that way and, and can see potential. So very lucky, I did the training uh, alongside still having the full-time role of being a lecturer. It was tough. And a baby. (laughs) And a baby, yes, it was hard. hard. And I was 40. (laughs) So like I say, this this journey took a long time, uh, but eventually I became the course director of the CBT program at, at Nottingham and course director for six years. So I was able to support um, people, you know, going through their training and to becoming CBT therapists. And it was really through this time that I became even more passionate, really, about helping others to access training because I could see potential in so many people who were coming for interviews, but they maybe didn't reach all of the criteria. And I just felt there must be, you know, better way of informing people before they make really big decisions about, you know, their career, which actually may be ill-informed or maybe not the best pathway or the quickest pathway 
if they just had information. Yeah, that leads us on nicely to the next question I was going to ask about. Can you tell us, because this uh, podcast is going to be around how to be a CBT therapist, because I, and it's a kind of a growing area, isn't it? And can you talk us through the different pathways to becoming a CBT therapist? So what you would need to have in place to kind of go for one of those interviews that, that you talk about? Well, what I love about the CBT career is that there are more than one pathways into becoming a CBT therapist. But if we um, sort of rewind, originally the, the CBT therapist role would be a specialism. It would, you know, it, it, you would have to have some kind of core profession um, in mental health. And by a core profession, we mean a substantive training such as mental health nursing, clinical psychology, um, occupational therapy, social work, or, you know, learning disability nursing is another core profession. There are more than that, but a, a training which has a substantive mental health element to it. So that means then that you have your core profession and then you can specialise in becoming a CBT therapist. So that's kind of one of the traditional pathways. Now, the BABCP, which is our sort of like uh, body, the UK um, professional body, which uh, accredits courses and individual therapists, they have a list of specific core professions that they accept. And that means if you do have one of those core professions, you just need one further year of accountable practice once you qualify to then access the the training now the training will that is it's always complicated because there's more than one type of training course but um it, you can then basically do your cbt training and depending on what level of course that is whether it's an accredited course that would basically mean that you could then you know apply to become an accredited therapist once you complete both your core profession and the training course. Now, when IAPT was introduced, there were the two levels and still still are the two levels of CBT therapy and therapists um, within the NHS, and that's uh, part of the stepped care model. So we know there are the low intensity CBT therapists who are referred to as PWPs or psychological well-being practitioners and there are the high intensity therapists so I've just talked about the sort of the high intensity pathway traditional pathway but there was a another pathway developed as a result of recognizing that the low intensity therapists the PWPs who train um, have less experience and and qualifications to access the low intensity training but once they have occupied that role as a qualified therapist then they are able to do what is called a KSA portfolio. KSA stands for knowledge, skills and attitude and it's a portfolio which actually gathers evidence across those three categories to, to show equivalence of a core profession. So if you have been a, a PWP, 
and then practice for two at least two years following qualification and you complete one of these KSA portfolios again you can then access the high intensity training right and there was some on my course when I train I can't remember when I trained now a number of years ago there was a couple of people that didn't have the core profession but they'd been um I think one was a counsellor so she did the high intensity training but she also did um the KSA as well so can you go straight into that high intensity training well if you are an accredited counsellor with certain bodies, UK bodies, and now they have extended that. Uh, so there was the BACP, which if you are an accredited counsellor, that counts as a core profession. So you wouldn't have to do a KSA under those circumstances. But if you are a counsellor, but you aren't an accredited practitioner, then then that's probably when you would do a KSA to demonstrate and evidence all of the criteria in the in the portfolio ah right yes yes that makes sense so what what do you feel are the basic kind of educational requirements for somebody who wants to become a cbt therapist well what again one of the things i love about this whole career pathway is that there there are more than one pathway so uh, traditionally again we would be talking about a lot of people would go for a psychology degree first but that isn't necessary as long as you the qualifications you have and the educational background and the clinical experience covers substantive amount of psychology knowledge and theory um so you don't have to have a psychology degree per se but whatever you do have it has to you know tick those boxes in terms of psychology knowledge how important do you think um experiences kind of clinical experience oh absolutely i mean if we think about the role it is made up of the k the s and the a really you know so regardless of your pathway in the role will always require you to keep on top of knowledge and theory and you know that's through your your uh professional development your own professional development beyond registration or accreditation you've got the skills which is an essential part so even before you can access training you do need to have a substantive amount of clinical experience what kind of things would classes clinical experience right so like i say we remember we are trying to map that against or match it against a core profession so if we we recognize that most core professional training courses are three years long now the BABCP and uh, in are very clear in the guidelines when it comes to the KSA for example that you do need the equivalent of four years experience now that can be made up of lots of different types of clinical experience but we are talking a substantive amount over and above, you know, a few brief voluntary experiences. We are talking about, you know, a role where, you know, ideally to access the course, the more applied that role is and the more applicable it is to psychological therapies, the better. Because sometimes you might have years of 
experience, but it's not actually necessarily going to equip you for a psychological therapy role. Right, right. Yes, that makes sense. And what kind of personal qualities do you think somebody needs? Well, definitely you need to be a compassionate, caring person. But I would say over and above that to be quite open, inquisitive, curious, because they're the qualities that we're trying to model to the people that we we treat. Uh, The CBT model is based on what's called the scientist practitioner model. And within that is the idea that we are trying to guide the person to find their own answers. So if you are... (laughs) Uh, having said that, I do know, and I'm guilty of this uh, myself sometimes, of you know wanting to be in control of things. But uh, actually, the qualities you know that I believe make really good therapists are if you can be flexible and be a little bit adventurous and creative. Yes, yeah, I totally agree with that. I definitely, I, the word that sprung to my mind was curious. I've got one of my best friends who listens, so little shout out to Lisa, but she, I always think she'd make a, a, a really good therapist because she's so curious about people and loves people and loves sto- their stories and stuff. So that's that's lovely to kind of get that overview. And I have um, a lot of clients that might come and see me and it, like enjoy the therapy experience. And, and for some of my clients, they kind of start to think, oh, could I do this? And, you know, but I think one of their worries is that, oh, because they've had therapy or they've had significant mental health problems, that this might be a barrier to them becoming a CBT therapist. What would you say to that? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, there, obviously, there are, there are things to consider. Um, but if we think about people who have lived experience of mental health problems, Now, whilst that doesn't mean that you totally understand the experience of somebody else, it does mean that you've got your own experiences, you've been through challenges. And if you are at a point where you're considering a career option like therapy, the likelihood is you're resilient and you've overcome difficulties in your own life. And they are great skills and experiences to model to others. Now, I don't mean you have to disclose all of your history but um you know speaking as somebody with my own mental health um history i definitely have not found it to be a barrier in fact uh, in some respects I, I think it's been you know uh, beneficial uh, but that said you don't have to have had mental health difficulties to make a good therapist absolutely not they're mo- not mutually exclusive but if we think about people who have been through challenges the ability to reflect and be self-aware of those early warning signs, etc., cetera, uh, is a valuable um, skill um, to have as a therapist. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I do think it's a profession where you, you have to really look after yourself. It's You can't, like I think lots of, my background's very similar to yours. I come from a nursing background, working long, long hours, long shifts, weekends. And I think kind of being a CBT therapist, and I don't know whether it's me getting older, I've really had to kind of sharpen up how I look after myself, you know, and my own mental health. And it's it's because your mind is the tool which you use to kind of perform your job. So you do 
you have to kind of look after yourself, don't you? Which I think you do generally in the workplace now anyway. I think there's a lot more. It's talked about a lot more, isn't it? And I think there's, there is an awareness, but I think as a profession, um, healthcare, well, healthcare professionals in general, we are pretty bad at asking for help. And I, and I think even though the culture is changing and that's positive, I think we do still need to, you know, make sure that we are aware of, uh, of our own barriers and that's normally our own core beliefs and rules that we live by and I think that's where we can learn from the people that we treat really that it's often those light bulb moments that when we're sharing a formulation with somebody else we think oh yeah that (laughs) that's just like me you know and and that's the beauty I think of CBT is that you've always got those opportunities to to reflect and raise your own awareness and try and apply the tools that we teach others to use to ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, it's transformed lots of the way I think, kind of becoming a CBT therapist. It's been very helpful. I think interestingly, just as you're talking then, what came to mind is that CBT is one of the only therapies that you can deliver without having ever had your own therapy if you wanted to. Now, I know lots of things. I've had lots of therapy. I like a bit of talking about myself and I've always found it very useful to sit on the other kind of chair. What do you think of that though? Do you think do you think that should change? I think it's a difficult one because I wouldn't want to be too prescriptive. If somebody's got really good yeah. psychological well-being, then I think, you know, really um, you know, we shouldn't sort of have one size fits all. But that said, I think, you know, again, if we're looking at supporting the workforce and, you know, making sure that, um, you know, we do practice that self-care. But there is the other thing, which is the the low intensity CBT therapists, the PWPs are probably better at than us. And that is the the CBT from the inside out, which is taught as a self-reflective tool. And I am a really big fan of that. And that is the idea that we try out the tools ourselves, even when we're not feeling, you know, mentally distressed, just to be able to experience what it is that we're asking other people to do. And often by doing that, we are actually addressing any difficulties that that are lurking around. Yes. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And there's so many training courses out there, isn't there? It's quite scary if I did a, a a little Google search on a training course to be a CBT therapist. I know I'd come across a couple at £19 for two days, um, up to thousands of pounds. So, so could you shed some light about that? And what, what do you think about these be a CBT therapist in two days for £20? It is obviously uh, horrifying to see those kind of adverts. Now, of course, if it's just a little snapshot into CBT and they're being very clear about what it is they're providing for £25, like maybe just an overview of what CBT is and an introduction in that way, but not making claims that it's training. Because training, as we've already discussed, takes many, many years. Now, it takes a heck of a lot of patience. And that was one of the qualities I was going to add in to the question about what qualities does it take? Because 
the pathways to become a CBT therapist on average takes eight years. And that, that goes from, let's say you, have, you do a psychology degree, you do a bit of voluntary work or you know, some roles uh, in mental health. You might do your low intensity training and then get the two years beyond. And then you do your CBT training. That's one pathway that takes on average about seven to eight years. Um, if you do your core professional training, that's three years of training plus one accountable practice. Then your, you know, your other year of training. Um, and still you, you need some accountable practice as a CBT therapist. You're talking six plus. So there are no shortcuts is, is the message here. And certainly not in two days. You know, we're, talking, we're talking years. It takes years to train to the standard where you can be treating people safely and accredited as a practitioner, yes. That's useful. What would you say are the, the top CBT tra training programmes out there? Well, I, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, and that is um, when it comes to training programs, and I'm talking about the UK because I know in other countries, um, I can I maybe say a little bit about that later if there's time, but in the UK, uh, we are talking about uh, different levels of training. And by that, I mean that the BABCP accredit courses. Now, there are two types of course accreditation there is uh, the top level is a level two now that means that a level two training course meets all the minimum training standards that are set by the BABCP in order to become an accredited practitioner at the end of that training course now the minimum training standards are the key element here so I would advise anyone to go away, look on the BABCP website, look up the minimum training standards, but I can say a little bit about that. The minimum training standards are a set of criteria that people have to meet in order to reach the standard that is required to become an accredited CBT therapist. Now, that involves so many number of training hours brought by uh, BABCP accredited practitioners, for example, so many hours of sup clinical supervision, so many hours of actual uh, clinical practice, and a certain amount of written work, such as case studies and uh, assessed, other assessed pieces of work. Now, um, that is all part of and factored in to uh, these level two accredited courses. So really, if you meet the entry requirements for a level two course, then by far, they are probably the most desirable because they're almost like the gold ticket to come out the other end and be ready to become provisionally accredited. Now, I say provisionally because in the first instance, you have to complete a year of provisional accreditation before you become fully accredited. So the level two courses, there are about 30 in the UK. And I must say some of those are made up of uh, 
the doctorate in clinical psychology there are some of those courses there's a handful within that 30 which are actually uh the clin courses that have become accredited because they meet the, the minimum training standards within their curricula so there's a few of those and there are also some of those 30 are the um you know pathways to working with children and, and young people so there's a good 20 of the courses are, um, you know, sort of uh, working with adults and aren't related to the clinical psychology doctorate. And so there are they're all over the country and, um, you know, they and they're all good quality courses. They have to be because, believe me, when, when I was the course director of Nottingham University, we were a level two accredited course. And every time we were reaccredited, uh, every four years, there was a mapping document where you had to show uh, the learning outcomes where where they appear in your curriculum, and there was over a thousand of them. <laughs> I've never known a mapping document like it. So we are talking, you know, a very intensive course with a lot of uh, criteria to meet. But if you can get on one of those courses, then clearly you know you are you 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 meet the the standard to to then become accredited now they do also do a level t one uh accredited courses which means they meet many of the minimum training standards but you you may come out at the end of that course and still need to complete a few extra pieces that might be a couple of case studies or it might be several hours of clinical practice or supervision that may not have been covered to to meet the full training standards does that make sense it does yes i think i trained with them um, salford cognitive therapy center i think their level two it was intense very good <laughs> and obviously nottingham's very good can you name another couple oh i honestly I, when i used to be on the circuit i can honestly say that there were uh, you know, everybody is totally committed to providing good quality education. We 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 have to really because you know, we're bound uh, by that. But obviously, you've got um, you know some of the top ones uh, in terms of you know league tables, things like that. You've got um, Oxford um, uh, who provide a, a level one um, accredited course. So with the Oxford course, you don't come out with all of the requirements but you know it's obviously very good quality training uh there's some of the top names who who contribute to those courses and um I've, i have been on quite a few of those short courses there as well and and clearly you know it's it's great birmingham there's there's several honestly there are you know there are several really good quality um cbt programs and I'll, I'll put a link in the um, show notes about the BABCP. I think there's a huge list. But I've also done the training with um, Oxford as well. Is it Oxford Cognitive Therapy Centre? Is that? Yes. Yeah. And they do some really short courses as well. But it's, they're brilliant, aren't they? Very, really, really good training courses. So my the CBT training I did at Salford was honestly the hardest thing that I have ever done. It was so, so intense. It was a fast track course. I did it with IAPT and, oh, my gosh, being videoed 
every session I did with clients, obviously with clients agreement was videoed and um, pulled to pieces in supervision. I learned so quickly. It was it was phenomenal, but hard work. And just what you've talked about, it's I was sat here thinking, God, I don't even can't even believe I've done all that because um, it, it's just such a minefield. Is there any preparation you that people can do when they're thinking about going on to one of these courses? Absolutely. I would say the earlier, the better that people start thinking about uh, if they are interested in CBT. Um, and I know that can be difficult for A-level students, but I would really, it's part of my mission is to reach the A-level students of this country because a lot of people will jump onto the psychology bandwagon and actually, uh, as I've described, my introduction to psychology came through a core profession. So I would urge people, the earlier the better, to become familiar with the different pathways and the different vocational um, training courses. So, for example, uh, rather than automatically applying for a psychology degree, think about um, a degree that applies psychology and then you are on the pathway already. Um, that's one bit of advice. So the earlier, the better. Another generic piece of advice, which is a bugbear of mine, is that people don't read enough. <laughs> you know, they don't read. They want to click on YouTube and find answers there. And I would say, please just read the source texts because if you are interested in CBT, you should love that stuff. You know? So what can they read then? You hear it here and I'll put links to these. But what would you get people reading? Well, no, anything and everything. There isn't a prescriptive list. It's about getting to know what the role is about because you'd be surprised at how many people have spent years and years uh, wanting to become a CBT therapist. They come to an, an interview because I've been the interviewer for many of these and you say, oh, tell me something you've read recently about CBT. And they go, um, 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 and they haven't read anything. And it's that's what I'm talking about, to be able to even answer the question, what is it about CBT that attracts you? And unless you're informed, and that might be not only through reading, but talking to others and getting to know what the role is really about rather than just um, a kind of fixed idea that you might think it is because you you could spend an awful long time preparing to become a CBT therapist and, and then it not turn out to be what you thought it was. So read, read, read anything and everything because that's the only way that you develop a position on anything. There's some lovely introduction books, isn't there? I'm thinking about Mind Over Mood by Christine Podesty and the if you look at the Overcoming series, there's lovely self-help books, but as therapists use them all the time, there it's really a nice series. And I just, I think in one of your groups, somebody asked, what what book should I be reading? And I put in the, uh, somebody who's starting out their career in CBT, and I mentioned the introduction by David Westbrook, which I still go back to those basic books now, just to recap. So good. Yes, and the, there's a whole host of, of books out there. And, you know, until you do go on a training course, like I say, read anything and everything. I know once you are on a course, we're talking about credible sources. 
but you know don't worry about that until you have to (laughs) i always say go to the the source materials because they are fascinating but when you're starting out and you just want an overview like you say there are so many great introductory books out there but yes talking to people who have been through it that's a great way of also learning isn't it like you say passing on that intel is really important listening to podcasts like this this is useful and joining facebook groups you've got a good facebook group haven't you especially for this can you tell us a little bit about the groups you run yes um i set up um a facebook group during the first lockdown called cbt careers and the idea behind that there was a couple of ideas really one was to obviously try and inform people about these pathways it was largely to attract people you know from different backgrounds who have got a, a common interest in cbt and that's that that's at any stage from just thinking about it as a possible career or you know if you're very experienced so the group is made up of a lovely blend of people from different backgrounds different levels of experience and it's a very supportive environment and we've got 1500 members now fantastic it's doing so well and i've just joined just as a bit of a research before doing this podcast but i'm really enjoying it in there and it is a friendly bunch of people lots of great questions and answers and stuff so i'll put a link to the the group Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I, you know, I mean, the idea behind it was to also encourage and motivate. So, you know, there's always um, something on there, people sharing nice news, like they've got a trainee position and, and things like that. I also try and motivate people to share what they're studying at the moment and, and, and things like that. So it is, it's a, a lovely environment. And the good thing about this uh, type of group is that uh, I've set it up as a learning a learning group. It means that you can set up a series of, they call them guides. And if you click on these guides, there's loads of information that have been saved so that you can just look through those and find answers to your questions, hopefully. Yeah, so some really useful information, beautifully designed information as well. You're moving away from this black and white, boring mental health resource, guys. And I'm a big advocate for that. So that's fantastic. And do you do some coaching as well? I do. I'm, um, when I, I still work, uh, I still have a substantive role in IAPT, but I work two days a week in private practice, Moya CBT. And one of my um, aims of setting up private practice was not only to, you know, offer private therapy, but it was also to develop a career advice service. So I do um, one-to-one consultations like mentoring or career advice, and also a service around the KSA, helping people to, um, you know, sort of develop their portfolio. And it's not about giving answers. It's about helping the person to to construct their KSA. But uh, along with the KSA part of the um, service, I also have a a couple of private uh, Facebook groups where if people come to webinars that I've set up, they have access to a peer support private group to, to, you know, carry on that work in, in a group environment, you know, so 
so yes it's uh it's very much about trying to like I say encourage people to get to where they want to be yeah isn't that's fantastic and I don't think there's anybody more qualified than you you know I know we've worked together for quite a while now but I think it's been so insightful for me to kind of go spend this hour with you and kind of learn more about your background and everything you've done and I mean I just think you know I wish I that you had been around when I was starting my journey I definitely would have got some support and got a bit of coaching on that so my my final question that I ask all my guests is and this kind of fits in with being a reflective practitioner if you could go back to your 15 year old self what would you say to her and what advice would you you give her from your adult CBT therapist mindset now? Oh, that is a really good question, Sarah. Um, actually, you know, on on reflection, I, I wouldn't really tell her to do anything different. Oh, well, that's lovely. <laughs> I wouldn't. Now, that isn't to say that I haven't had some challenges uh, in my life, but, you know, um, I have definitely gained from them and you know um I guess the 15 year old self I would say don't be so bothered by what people think that you know really you are going to go on and end up doing you know some really good stuff and and have a, a really you know blessed life and and you know so I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to change anything really that is lovely I think that's very nice to hear that and I'm sure lots of people that are listening to this because it's going to be a catchy title the world of mental health and psychological therapies and CBT is growing so I'm sure there's so many people out there that want to or thinking about becoming CBT therapists and they're going to be interested in following you how can they kind of what's the I'll do some links in the show notes but where is the best platform to find you there's a few routes really there's my my website which is um www.moyacbt.co.uk and i've got some some resources if you go to the resources page there it's it's in development but i do like one of my pastimes is to develop a load of guides as in pdfs (laughs) and um so there's quite a few bits and pieces on there uh, which people can access my facebook page which is moya cbt uh, they're my main sort of places as well as the careers page they're probably like the three sites that i um interact with most fantastic and you're always there answering questions so you know people get lots of support i will put all the links into the show notes for everybody and Thank you so much for this. I think about 50 minutes of all this interesting stuff. It's been fascinating. Oh, thank you. No, thank you for asking me, Sarah. It's my pet subject. So I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, You take care and I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Asa Therapist. For more information about the CBT journal, visit my website at saradreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. 
This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Reese, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.